0: The Christian's relationship to God is both legal and personal. As creatures made in his image, he has given us his law whereby he judges us and guides us and has instructed us what we are to be and how we are to live. As his children, he has given us his son to redeem us, to make us right. With him To be reconciled to him forever. Jesus accomplished our redemption through his life and his death. By living a life of perfect obedience to God's commandments, he has satisfied all of the claims that that law has over us and against us. And then, having earned righteousness, not for himself, but for us, He willingly laid down his life on the cross as if he himself had sinned, though he had no sin of his own to atone for, so that we, through his sacrificial death, might have the penalty, the full penalty of our sins paid for. Because of what Jesus has done, as we trust him as Lord, we stand in God's courtroom completely justified there is as paul writes in romans 8 1 therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus when you turn from your sin and you trust jesus christ you are standing before god in a status that is changed forever you go from being condemned by his law to being forever forgiven and justified before that law. And this is all because of Jesus. As we have seen the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul makes much of this legal argument about our justification. He underscores its importance as he closes out Romans chapter 8, the chapter that we've been in now for several weeks. In this chapter, Paul has expounded what it means to live by the Spirit of God. What is involved for Christians who have faith in Jesus and through that faith are in union with Christ. And because of that union, have a completely eternally secure relationship to God. God has justified such people before his law. And his law can no longer condemn us. Listen to, again to the way the Apostle Paul highlights the security of every Christian's legal standing before God in Romans eight thirty one through 34, verses that we have recently considered. There he writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, your legal status before God has been eternally secured by Jesus Christ. So there can never be any more accurate condemnation leveled against you no matter what the source of such condemnation might be every attempt to condemn a christian is ruled out of order whether it comes from other people whether it comes from your own conscience with an awareness of sin that remains within you whether it comes from the devil with all of his accusations against the brethren every one of those efforts to condemn you God, the judge of the universe, declares out of order and will not hear them. On what grounds does God do this? On the grounds that He did not spare His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us all. And that Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who even now is at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. So legally, Christians are free people. We're forgiven. We're no longer condemned. We're forever justified all because of Christ. That is incredibly good news. It's amazing. But it gets even better. Because our relationship with God is not only legal, it's personal. Legally, God justifies us forever. Personally, God loves us forever. That's the last point that Paul makes as he closes out Romans chapter 8. The last five verses of that chapter are our text for this morning's message. And it's found on page 945 of the Bibles that are provided for you in the chairbacks that are in front of you. And I encourage you to get a copy of the scripture open And look at these verses because I just want us to meditate on them today because this really is almost like a doxology that the Apostle Paul is offering up to the Lord in light of His great, unbreakable, eternal love that He has for His children. So hear the Word of God from Romans chapter 8. I'll start in verse 35 and read down through verse 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for his people cannot be broken. Nothing can ever sever the love that God has for for his children just as a christian's legal relationship with god can never be changed in the same way our personal relationship with god is eternally secure the word that describes the the legal relationship that we have with god through christ is justification the word that describes the personal relationship that we have with god through christ is love and when paul mentions the love of christ in verse 35 and then the love of god in verse 39 he's talking about the same thing the love of god in christ and he's talking about god's love for us not our love for god that phrase you know can be used either way you could say to your child for the love of your mother pick up your room in other words show your mother that you love her the love of your mother your love for her But that's not the way that Paul is using these phrases here. When he refers to the love of God and the love of Christ, it is God's love for his people in Christ. And what he is saying is that God's love for us cannot be broken. Well, what is God's love? How do we understand it? We need to be clear on this because there's so many confusing ideas about love today. I like the way that J.I. Packer has helpfully described the love of God. He writes it like this. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. God's love for us is his goodness being exercised toward us in Christ. In such a way that we now know God and we're able to enjoy Him in an unbreakable relationship. This love, which God has for His people, is eternally secure. It cannot be broken by any painful experience, which Paul outlines several in verses 35, 36, and 37 nor can it be broken by any kind of intimidating opposition, which he lists 10 possibilities in verses 38 and 39. And the reason that it's unbreakable is because God's love for us is his love in Christ. So God's love for his people cannot be broken. First, I want us to look at verses 35, 36, and 37 to see how this is true no matter how deep the pain and suffering may be that we go through. Sometimes when you're going through real trials and life is really hard, you might be tempted to think, where is God? Is God forgotten? Does God really love me? If He loves me, why this? Paul answers that question in these verses. In verse 35, he continues to make the point that he is about to elaborate by using rhetorical questions, something that he's been doing all the way from verse 31. And in verse 35, he lists out seven painful experiences, experiences that could conceivably cause a Christian to doubt God's love, to to ask the question, God, if you love me, why won't you remove this from me? Paul mentions these things to reassure us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God loves his children through every trial and sorrow. Let's look at these seven descriptions of various painful trials. He mentions tribulation. It's the word that literally just means pressing or to press together. It was a word that was used of a wine press in the first century to extract juice from the grapes for the process of making wine no pressure can separate us from god's love or distress he says this is a compound word it's comprised of two words one of which is the greek word stenos which we get stenosis from if you've ever had spinal stenosis you understand what that is it creates great pain because there's a constriction of the openings in your spinal column and this word constriction with the word space gives the impression or the idea of this pressure that leads to difficulties. It's, it's dire straits that come into your life that create pain. Persecution, a word that can cover everything from harassment to informal opposition to formal organized oppression. Famine, which undoubtedly is a reference to just going hungry, not not having enough food to eat. Nakedness, which is a reference to not having the kind of shelter you need, not having the kind of clothes that you need because of poverty. Danger, being in peril, being threatened. Sword, this is a word for a small sword, a dagger. It's probably a reference to official martyrdom. Execution by the state that was coming, had come already, against Christians because of their faith. These in the list, of course, are not exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list, but rather Paul chooses these as suggestive. And what they suggest is that Christians are not immune to even the most severe trials in this world. In verse 36, Paul quotes from Psalm 44 that Don read for us earlier. He quotes the 22nd verse of that psalm. Hear it again. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is Paul's understanding of the Christian life. Listen, those teachers that tell you or try to portray the idea that if you become a Christian everything's just going to be great and rosy, they don't read the whole Bible because Christians are not immune to even very painful, severe trials. And Paul says that we're like sheep being led to the slaughter. This is precisely what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, before he sent them out. He says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, you know what wolves do to sheep. They they want to destroy them. They want to devour them. In John sixteen thirty three, on the night that he was betrayed, before he was arrested, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. It's a promise. Our Lord and Savior was subjected to tribulation. He was oppressed. He was arrested. He was executed. And he's our master. He's the one in whose steps we follow. You know, sometimes we can get mixed up in our thinking about love. We see this all the time in personal relationships with other people. And people who have superficial understandings of love are easily disillusioned and very easily manipulated when pain and difficulties come into their relationship. Sadly, we see this too frequently with parents and children. When children who have not been taught what real love is... They can begin to feel unloved when mom and dad cross their will, when mom and dad tell them no. And sometimes kids will even express this like, Well, if you loved me, you would let me. If you loved me, you wouldn't keep me from this. If you loved me, you would give me this. And some parents are manipulated by those accusations because they themselves don't know or perhaps are forgetting what real love is. They don't know that love is seeking what is best for a person in any and every circumstance, even if that circumstance is difficult or painful. Well, God always loves his children because he is always exercising his goodness toward us, even in our pain and suffering. In fact, sometimes God ordains our pain and our suffering sometimes he directs our pathway intentionally through fiery trials because he knows that that is precisely what we need in order to experience more of his grace and blessing brothers and sisters when god does that he is loving us you know, donna early in our marriage worked as a pediatric nurse at the fort worth children's hospital in Sometimes she would come home frustrated because she would very often have to administer hard procedures to kids, painful breathing treatments or painful inoculations. And more than a few times, parents would look at her and say, I could just never be a nurse because I love children too much. <laughs> you know, the daughter would come home and she'd say, you know, I just wanted to say to them, yeah, I hate children. That's why I went into pediatric nursing, you know, so I could just inflict pain on them, you know. Of course not. Of course not. But sometimes the very best thing for you. Will inevitably include pain. Brothers and sisters. No matter what you're going through right now. The truth of these verses. Needs to be brought to your mind. Whatever painful relationship you're in. Whatever loss you are suffering. Whatever. SARS, you are going through, be assured of this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He has loved you with an everlasting love, a love that is unbreakable. Knowing this and remembering it will enable you to persevere with confidence, even through the most painful events of life, even through death. On July 1st, 1555, the Protestant pastor John Bradford was burned at the stake in Smithfield in London. He was arrested and persecuted because he refused to quit preaching the gospel of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And on the morning of his execution, he was chained to a pitch-soaked stake alongside a young frightened believer by the name of John Leaf. And before the executioner came and lit the stake, Bradford loudly announced that he sought forgiveness from anyone whom he had sinned against. And he offered his forgiveness to anyone who had sinned against him. And then he looked over at his young friend, John Leaf. And with a kind smile, he said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Confident even to death. Confident that the flames, after they had done their worst, could not separate him from the love of God. That even though his life would be over in a matter of minutes or hours, his soul would eternally be safe in the God who purchased it out of love Through his son, the Lord Jesus. Not only does God love us through trials and sorrows, but as verse 37 goes on to say, through these trials and sorrows, Christians are made super conquerors. We're super conquerors. Look at that verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, Paul employs a very rare word here. Again, it's a compound word. He, he takes the prefix hyper that we know in English, what that means. It has the same meaning in his language. And he adds it to the word Nikon, which means conqueror. And so what he's literally saying is that Christians are hyper conquerors or super conquerors. You know, it's not enough for him to say that we will simply prevail through trials and sorrows. No, he says we will more than prevail We will be super conquerors. And we are made super conquerors. How? Not because we're so strong. Not because we prepared all our life for that moment. We're made super conquerors. Through him who loved us. Who loved us. Now God loves us. And will love us. But Paul here is thinking to something specific. Him who loved us us, Jesus Christ, who came, who gave up His life for us, who died for us, who was raised for us. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself tempted to doubt the love of God, go back and just spend time looking at, thinking about the cross. Consider the love of God for you. On the cross. He gave up his son for you. Christ laid down his life. For you. To know that God is for you and loves you. Will strengthen you to live triumphantly. Through any trial. I didn't say that God's love will enable you to live. Without trials. Or without real pain in the midst of trials. That's not true. But his love does empower us. So that we're not destroyed. By trials, and indeed we can be strengthened through trials so that we become super conquerors. I love Paul's testimony in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. You probably have heard about it or are familiar with it. There he gives us a little insight into his own personal spiritual experience. And he talks about this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it made him miserable. He wanted to be free from it. He thought he could be a better apostle without it. And so as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he prayed three times. And asked the Lord to take it from him. And the Lord did not take it from him. But rather the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is enough for his people. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Well, that truth, if we are able to believe it, if we're able to to bring it to our conscious thinking in the midst of pain and sorrow and difficulty, it will set us free as it set Paul free. Because you remember how Paul responded once the Lord made known to him what he was doing by Not taking away this thorn in the flesh? This is what Paul said. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the testimony of a super conqueror. Not because... Paul himself had muscled up all that he needed in his own resources to stand firm. No, he's weak. He feels his weakness. He wants his weakness to be removed. And God says, no, I'm not going to remove your weakness. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to perfect my power in your weakness. I'm not going to take the thorn away, but I'm going to give you grace that you will be able to know and testify is sufficient or whatever thorn I leave in your life. Brothers and sisters, this is how God deals with us. I know, I know. You look around this room, and there's so, so many of you going through so many different trials. Some of them are agonizing. And I'm sure I only know a, a small part of it. But hear this word from God today. His love for you is not diminished through your trials. Rather, His love for you will so strengthen you that you'll be able to say with Paul that you have experienced sufficient grace. That you have seen his power made perfect in your weakness. And you'll look back and say, yeah, not because of me, but through him who loved me. I have been more than a conqueror. God's love for his people cannot be broken no matter how deep our pain and suffering Furthermore, in verses 38 and 39, it cannot be broken no matter how comprehensive our opposition, no matter how vast the array of forces are against us. In his commentary on Romans, the New Testament scholar Robert Mounts writes this about these verses, the final two verses of chapter eight call for reflection rather than interpretation. They supply the climax of Paul's inspired and eloquent words of praise to the love of God. And indeed, these 10 things that he mentions in these verses, they really don't need a lot of explanation. They serve to illustrate the kind of comprehensive opposition Christians may face in the world. And Paul lists them poetically for effect. He gives us four pairs, two each, and then he has one standalone item And then he has one summary statement at the very end. So let's just look at them together. Let me read them out loud to you again. It says, neither death nor life, not the termination of our physical lives, nor the life that we have to live through, not what's right here in front of us that we experience day by day or that which waits us at the very end can separate us from God's love nor angels, nor rulers. This is a reference to the unseen world of demonic forces that are always trying to overthrow the work of God in the lives of, the lives of God's people. Nor things present, nor things to come. What you face day by day and what you don't, do not know, but you will face in the days of head. They can't separate us. And then he mentions singly nor powers, most likely a reference here to those heavenly spiritual powers of darkness. Again, the demons that are arrayed against us, the forces of evil, nor height, nor depth. These are spatial terms. It seems like Paul here is trying to impress upon us that there's nothing high enough, there's nothing low enough, there's nothing that we can ever face that will overcome us. And then, just to make sure, In case he's forgotten something, he summarizes, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing has the power to separate us from God's love for us. Nothing will be able, has the power to separate us from God's love. You know, it's, it's fun to watch parents teach children and try to impress upon them how much they love them and i mean we played this game with our kids and i, I love watching it and my grandkids you know I, I love you to the moon and back right or i love you more than ice cream you know or if you're real serious i love you more than chocolate you know and the kids try to respond and of course they're at a disadvantage because they're just kids you know well i love you to 100 I love you to one hundred and one, you know, you just kind of keep going and and you're just trying to stretch their minds into thinking about the great love that you have for them. And they want you to know their love for you, too. And, And human love is wonderful. Praise God for it. It's a reflection of God because it comes from God. You know, the fact is. Human love. No matter how sincere. Can be broken. Betrayal can break human love. Circumstances can diminish human love. Death can sever love. But brothers and sisters, none of these things can impact God's love for you as his child. His love for us is unbreakable. Nothing can separate us from it. Why? Why? Because God loves us in Christ. None of the things that Paul mentions will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In verse 35, Paul simply calls it the love of Christ. God's love for his people is always in Christ. Perhaps the best known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16 Sets this forth for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's in his son. It's in Jesus Christ. Paul has said this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Previously in this letter. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The apostle John underscores this in 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, God's love for his people is in Christ. It's what he has already done for us in Christ. And such love cannot be broken. It is immutable. Why? Because it's not based upon anything that is subject to change. This is the great difference. Between the way that God loves and the way that people tend to love. A child first learns to love his mother. Why? Because she's always doing for him. She provides for him. She feeds him. She cares for him. She holds him. With healthy development, people learn to love each other. Not just for what they do for us but for who they actually are with all their unique gifts and limitations. But the greatest way to love others is to love people not for what they do for us, not even for what they are in and of themselves, but to love them for Christ's sake because we've been loved and because God is love and we want to be more like God. So by his power and his grace, we learn more and more to love as he loves, which means we love for his sake, because that's how God loves. Nothing outside of God compels his love. When you start a sentence that says God loves me because. And you end it with anything below God himself, you're not speaking rightly. God loves. Because God is love. He loves us. His people. For the sake of Christ. He chose us. In Christ. He redeemed us. In Christ. He will preserve us. In Christ. Because he loves us. In Christ. And it's because of this. That nothing can ever separate us. From the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We are safe. And secure. Eternally. In Christ. That's marvelous news. If you're trusting Jesus. That's great news. Nothing you can ever do. Nothing that can ever be done to you. Can separate you from the love of God. That he has for you in Christ. I know there are those here this morning. That are not trusting Christ. And again we want you to know. You're always welcome. We're glad you're here. But I'm guessing that probably you have heard about God's love. If people have any kind of thoughts about God, typically today, it has something to do with this love. And very often they have some thoughts that are close to right, but oftentimes thoughts that are very wrong about God's love. And I I want you to understand before you leave today what the Bible says about this incredible love of God. Do you see Paul's language here that God's love for his children is in Christ You see, there's no way you can ever know or experience God's love outside of Christ. You may talk about his love. You may trick yourself into thinking that he loves you and that you're assured of that and that you love him. But if you're not turning from your sin and trusting Jesus and following after Jesus as Lord, then whatever it is that you have experienced thus far in your relationship with God, know this, it's not his love. It's not the love that saves sinners. It's not the love that causes people like you and me to stand justified in His courtroom. It's not the love that takes us from being strangers to God and brings us into His very family because God only loves like that in Christ. And if you would experience the love of God today, I would plead with you to come to Christ. The good news is Christ is available to you. He's been proclaimed to you in these verses. He's been set before you as the great Savior of sinners. And there are many people in the room today who could stand up right now and testify it's true. He has loved me. He has saved me. He has justified me. He has brought me into his family as I've turned from sin and trusted him. So trust the Lord Jesus today. And you will begin to experience love unlike any other love. Brothers and sisters, do you see how Paul begins verse 38? Look at those three words there. For I am sure. He's confident. He has a strong conviction, no doubt in his mind. What are you certain of today? What can you say? And include the phrase, I'm sure of this. Of this I am confident. Are you sure that God loves you? Despite financial reversals you might be experiencing? Are you sure God loves you when your dearest loved one on earth dies? When sickness comes? When your dreams are dashed? When life gets overwhelming, can you say with Paul, I am sure that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, take God at his word. Believe what he says about his people. When you wonder where God is, remember Jesus Christ. When your own sin is brought back before your mind, consider Jesus Christ when death invades the circle of your loved ones think about Christ and as you remember Christ be convinced that God loves you for his sake and that nothing nothing will ever separate you from that love let's pray together our father we thank you for your great love for us we cannot fully take it in but We pray that you would help us by faith to believe it and to take you at your word to take these things that have been written at the end of Romans 8 and to lay hold of them by faith and help us to live with that confidence and knowing that you're never going to let us go. That your love is of such a nature that it cannot be broken. And may we find joy and freedom in that love that will enable us to stand firm in the things that you've revealed to us without fear, without being intimidated, with great confidence. Open the eyes of those here with us today that have never, ever tasted this love that you have for sinners in Christ. And reveal Christ in them, we ask. for We pray in his name. Amen.